Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be taking a look at the C64 Maxi, which was released in North America earlier this month. Now, before I get started, and by the way, I should say this is, um, uh, if this is your first time to listen to the podcast, this isn't exactly how we normally do the show. Normally, I pick a game, and we do a deep dive into a game, but uh, on this episode, we are taking a look at a piece of hardware. So it may be a little bit different than a normal episode, but uh, for everyone that's been asking questions about the C64 Maxi, I think I'm actually one of the first people in North America to actually get the um, North American release. So we'll talk all about that. But before we get started talking about the C64 Maxi, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy Headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. Now, if you recall in the last episode of Sprite Castle, we played Karotica for the Commodore 64, which was the first game released by Jordan Mechner. Now, I've kind of been on a Jordan Mechner kick over the past two weeks since playing uh, Karotica. And so last week, the game that I streamed online was Prince of Persia, which was Jordan Mechner's second game. So if you would like to watch uh, Prince of Persia being played, I played Prince of Persia 1, Prince of Persia 2, uh, both on the uh, IBM PC. And then I showed some footage of the Apple II version, which was the original version. I showed footage from the Commodore 64 version, which was released in 2011. And uh, I also showed some YouTube footage that Mechner had filmed uh, running around in his backyard, and it was the uh, home movies that he later used uh, that he rotoscoped to make the final graphics, so that was kind of neat to see. So if you want to um, see some Prince of Persia gameplay, head to the normal spot, which is youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming. And while you're there, check out all the other playlists and streams that are on that channel. The Amigos have uh, their stuff, ARG. Uh, which is Amigo Retro Gaming, has uh, their videos. Pixel Gaiden has been uploading some videos. So there's all kinds of great stuff. There's uh, some old, uh, I believe it's a, a DOS show, Insert Disc 2. There, there's all kinds of great stuff there. So, uh, you can you kind of get lost in the years and years of videos that they've uploaded. So lots of cool stuff there. Um, also, since recording that episode, I purchased and read both of Jordan Mechner's self-published journals. He kept a journal during the time that he developed Karatika and later Prince of Persia, and he has released those as separate journals. They're available uh, for purchase on his website. I think they were six ninety nine dollars for the uh, uh, EPUB. And they're great. If you were alive during that time, if you remember the 80s and retro computing, it's really interesting read you know karateka is really the example of a one-man show jordan mechner programmed the game he did the graphics he did the music um you know he did everything he did all this rotoscoping and and uh, got it published by broderbund and uh 
Uh, you know, it went on to, to sell pretty well. And then he returned and ended up doing Prince of Persia. And that's what the second set of journals covers. And there's just so much insight into that era of programming. And of course, there's a lot of stuff about uh, Jordan Mechner's personal life. You know, he's uh, when he was doing Karateka, he was attending Yale. And there's a lot of stuff about his desire to be a uh, filmmaker and his love of film and his love of movie soundtracks and how all those things kind of came together along with the, uh, I suppose, coincidental fact that he was taking karate lessons <laughs> at the time. And so all these things combined to make karateka. So lots of interesting stuff uh, about the era, about the business of early software development and um you know, the, the whole business. So if you're into any of that stuff, I would recommend picking up one or both of those journals. They were really interesting to read. Uh, I started a new playlist on YouTube under my own account, which is just Rob O'Hara, and you can find this one, and I called it Sprite Castle Overflow. And the reason I did that is because I've kind of been flooding uh, the Amiga's YouTube channel with uh, a lot of footage, and I, I'm kind of... Uh, uh, I don't want to um, overstay, not overstay my welcome, but I, I, I definitely don't want to stomp on other people's videos and uh, and uh, flood the channel. So if I'm going to do videos that aren't related directly to the podcast that week, uh, I'll probably put these there instead. And so a couple nights ago, I played Matt Mania on MAME. It was a old arcade game. It was one of the first. It was the first arcade game I ever bought at an auction. Uh, it was the second arcade game that I ever personally owned. The first one was Elevator Action. And so I talk uh, all about Matt Mania, and I play a lot of Matt Mania. And at some point, I put on a Mexican luchador wrestling mask, uh, because if you're playing wrestling games, that's what you do. Uh, so you could find that um, Sprite Castle Overflow. Again, all the videos that have to do with the podcast will probably, uh, well, not probably, will definitely uh, go over to that original feed under Amigos Retro Gaming. And those guys have been really gracious uh, for letting me, you know, host videos there and uh, putting my show on their stream. And so um, I want to keep all that stuff together. But if I stream other games that are kind of outside the purview of the show and I'm just, uh, you know, playing random things or something, I'll probably just stick it in this little overflow uh, container. So you can find those over at youtube.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. And all of my streams can be watched live on Twitch TV forward slash Rob O'Hara. So if you have a Twitch account, which is free, you just go over to Twitch TV, look me up, Rob O'Hara, and click that little follow button. Now I sound like every 13-year-old person that I listen to <laughs> online that's like slap like and click this and do all that, which... um. Uh, it's kind of funny. I, I saw there were things happening definitely on the last stream that I didn't know how they were happening. People were gifting things and stuff was popping up and sounds were playing. And I, I, <laughs> I was just going with the flow. I was just playing my game, but it was, uh, it was exciting even if I didn't, didn't understand everything that was going on. So, uh, but all kinds of fun stuff happening on Twitch. So if you want to catch those streams live, and of course when it's live, that means you can interact. You can uh, go to the chat window and, type things and we can have conversations and you can um, mock me for my terrible video game playing skills and all that stuff. Uh, so it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun for me to interact with people. Um, I have added a new 
Patreon reward for my 16-bit supporters. That's my top-tier support. Um, Those are $10 a month supporters. And the reward that I have added, what happened was I have a reward that was called Rando Rob, where I was making videos for just that that level. But it doesn't seem like it, it wasn't really catching on. And I didn't want to have a reward that people weren't enjoying because, you know, I, I really want to give something back to the people that are supporting me. So I've moved that so that all my Patreons can see those now. And I've added a new reward, uh, which is called uh, uh, Ask Me Anything. And so I will start having a segment that will last a couple minutes on the shows where uh, I will take one question from the Ask Me Anything pile and uh, talk about it on the air. And if I can, I will tie it into, uh, you know, this week's topic or something like that. And um, the first question that I had in the bag was from uh, my supporter, Dave Zilly, who asked a little bit about my streaming setup and how all that works. You know, again, I've been talking about doing all this streaming on on Twitch and, and uploading that stuff to YouTube and and uh, how all that works. And so uh, it's a little bit easier to explain with video than audio, although I will tell you real quick the basics of what I'm doing. Uh, I have uh, a Blue Yeti microphone, and that's what I've been using to podcast with for several, several years now, at least five years, probably longer than that. Um, And, you know, back at the old house, I had the pod cart, And when I got to this house, I started, it was like I was dividing my hardware into two different areas and it didn't really make sense. I had my uh, laptop and I had the Blue Yeti on the pod cart and I was podcasting in other places. But then if I was going to try to stream, I had to come in here to my main computer and do that. And I was using a headset that had much, you know, uh, inferior audio. So I kind of combined everything. I brought everything now is at my main desk. I've got my Blue Yeti here on one of those uh, spring arm microphones. Um, I have a, a webcam, a Logitech webcam for my video, and all this stuff runs into a program called uh, OBS. And OBS is free. Uh, you could download OBS and um, uh, set it up OBS Studio. And uh, so the way that OBS Studio works very simply is that uh, you set up scenes and then each scene has a series of sources. So, uh, for example, I have a scene that's called Rando Rob for my Patreon Rando Rob videos. And if I click on that scene uh, there, I've added this animated background of of stars and I add a picture of what I'm going to talk about and I have a small video window and I've made this animated thing at the top uh, that, that says Rando Rob, and it uh, looks like a, a neon tubes, and it flashes on and off and does some things. So in that scene, all those separate components are sources. And sources can be used and reused on other, on other scenes. Um, but once you get it set up, I mean, it's a little complicated at the beginning, but once you get it set up, it's like you're running a television station uh, in real time, you know, you can click on different scenes and I've got one scene that's set up that just shows whatever's on my uh, left monitor. So if I want to show something on YouTube, um, or a picture or things like that, I move it over to the left monitor and then I click on that scene and it switches the video over to my left monitor. Uh, and then I have, uh, like a, a Sprite castle. There's a static scene that I have that has all the information about the show. I've added a new one where it's uh, my face. I mean, it's the video that takes up the whole screen, and I added a um, 
uh, a castle-like border uh, <laughs> uh, to it because, uh, you know, it's Sprite Castle. And then, of course, I have the, the normal Sprite Castle and gaming thing. And, of course, on that one, I had to add a lot. Uh, I had to add, um, you know, different window captures for every single uh, different type of game, you know. So um, where I had all these things that were like, oh, let me pull it up here. I've got one that I set up to capture MAME and one for Exodos and one for Steam games. And um, the one I use mostly is uh, WinVice, my Commodore emulator. Now, you can get a uh, external or like a USB capture card that will capture HDMI in or something like that. And then you could run other consoles if you wanted. Like, you know, you could any basically any console that has HDMI in, like a, a PS4 or, or um, uh, you know, the new X or Xbox One, anything like that that has HDMI out, uh, you could run directly into that and feed that in as an input too. So uh, there's a lot more to it, and I will probably make a video and share that um, uh, with my Patreon so they can see uh, the inter- you know, it's always fun to see the, the back end of how stuff works, right? But um, uh, but that's kind of the gist of it. So, you know, you set up OBS and then you set up your Twitch account and OBS has a button that says start streaming and you connect all those things. And uh, it's, it's, I remember as a kid, you know, there was this big thing like, like now when people look at Pong, Pong doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you were a kid looking at Pong, it was the first time that you controlled something on the television, you know? And the same thing happened the first time that we had our VCR camera. People would just sit there and stare at it because all of a sudden they were on television. They had spent their whole lives watching other people on television and suddenly they were on television. So it was this kind of revelation that you were doing something that on TV or on the monitor that um, up until that point, uh, you know, you were a passive viewer and suddenly it was you, you know? And so I have watched all these videos over the years on YouTube and, and watched people play games and watch streams. And I've been on Twitch and watched people streaming and doing all that stuff. And it's uh, scarily simple to create all this free accounts and link this free software and you press the button and now it's you. And you're the guy on the screen, and now people are talking to you, and they're heckling you because you can't make the right jump in Prince of Persia or whatever, you know. So it's it's very um, uh, – I, I, I thought there was something I had to pay for, and someone told me if you're paying for something, you're doing it wrong. Like all this stuff is free. So it's been uh, a very interesting experience getting all this stuff set up, and uh, i got to tell you, I really do enjoy it. I was interested in doing video – a long time ago and I stopped because the amount of time it took to edit video and render video on my computer was just, it was not worth the time. And now all this stuff is, is almost real time. I mean, the Twitch stuff is real time. When you're done with the stream, the video is there. You don't even upload it. It's already there. Uh, and you can take that same video and drop and drag it to YouTube. And of course it does a little processing, but it's not like the old days of rendering video. So uh, they, they've really changed it, and it's kind of made me think about bringing back. I don't want anybody to get too excited. And by the way, nobody would get excited. But <laughs> I had a podcast called Cactus Flax where I was going through all my old uh, arcade games one at a time, and I was talking about them and showing the the arcade games. But uh, I kind of quit doing it just because the video editing was so intensive 
that uh, it wasn't worth the time. And all of this stuff is making me reconsider. Now, that's going to be a limited scope show, and I'm not promising that I'll be bringing it back in 2021. But if I do, the whole scope of that show was to cover all the video games I ever owned. And I was working down the list. So uh, it would be a finite number of episodes, but it would be fun to to finish that. I hate the fact that it's kind of unfinished and sitting out there. So, uh, but anyway, that is the gist of, uh, how I do the streaming. It's all done through OBS, a link to Twitch. And then eventually the end product gets dropped and dragged over to YouTube. So I will do a little bit more in-depth video, uh, for my Patreon supporters, but that question was brought to you by Dave Zilly, who is one of my 16 bit supporters on Patreon. So if you want to ask a question and it can be Commodore related, Related or computer related, or it could be whatever you want, uh, then um, go over to Patreon and you can see how to get that done. Dave also sent me a news update about the C64, which we'll be talking about, uh, and Retro Games Limited, which is the company behind them, has had a contest. They had a game development contest to uh, design games with a winter theme. So it was their winter. Uh, Well, I don't know that the games had winter themes, but it was their winter games development contest. And I think some people got turned off early on because there was some verbiage in the entry rules that said, you know, anything you submit becomes their property and they can add it to the C64 and they don't owe you any money and this and that. So I got a feeling a lot of the uh, more advanced game developers kind of lost interest. That was kind of the, the... the scuttlebutt, if you will, on the internet. But uh, they did finish the competition, and I think there's about 10 games that are included in this. They're all free. If you want to go online, I will add a link in the show notes, of course, where you can go download them. A lot of the games are for the VIC-20 and not the Commodore 64, so I don't know that they're of the same type of uh, quality as a lot of the Commodore 64 games that we play and talk about. But um, you know, none of them are terrible duds. They're all fun to play and, and they're all free. And of course, uh, a lot of them were done by uh, some of the younger supporters, like uh, people that were 18 and under was the main category. So uh, it's always exciting to see uh, the next generation getting interested in 8-bit games. So I'll add a link if you want to go download those and check out the games that were entered in the competition. Uh, quick plug, there's a week left on the Story Bundle book of games that my books, Commodore and Commodorkier, are included in. So if you have not come up with a Christmas present for yourself or maybe someone in your life that really likes computer-related ebooks, you should go to storybundle.com forward slash games. Uh, there were several uh, books added uh, to the... Uh, collection of books. I believe there's almost a hundred books now, and you could get all those basically for $30. Um, most of them are in some combination of EPUB and Mobi and PDF format. And once you pay, you can download those and you get the actual files. There's no DRM, so you can put them on any device you want, or you can read them on your computer. Uh, I mentioned that I have an Android tablet, dedicated tablet that I do all my ebook reading on. So however you want to read them is cool. Um, if you don't own Commodore and Commodorkier, then uh, this is a good way to get those along with about 97 other books <laughs> and lots of cool stuff in there. So anyway, if you're interested, I think there's about a week left. I think that goes through Christmas. So uh, if you want to get that, you need to get moving on that pretty quickly. 
In game news, I saw two new games released over the past week. One is Chiller 2. This is a new game that was based off of the original Chiller, which was made by Mastertronic. Uh, I have not had a chance to play this yet. I watched a video. It looks really good, so I will be checking that out this weekend. Actually, I'm starting today. This is my first day of 17 days of vacation, so I plan on doing a lot of game playing, and I got a lot of projects. I got some Honeydew projects, and I got some Commodore projects laying around, so I'm looking forward uh, to uh, at least doing the Commodore projects. Uh, another game that I saw released was uh, Monster Catcher, and the description was uh, that it's similar to Bubble Bobble and Smash TV, which are two games that I like. Uh, this is a, a game that was released on Itch. It's a $2.99, so if you're interested in checking out Monster Catcher, you can go over to Itch.io and look for Monster Catcher there. And finally, I wanted to mention this little app that I saw that was released. It's called AnyKey. And uh, you can find it on CSDB um, or, uh, again, of course, I'll be adding links to all these. But AnyKey is a small little application that can be used for testing keyboard and joystick imports on a Commodore 64. So if you're lucky enough to find a used Commodore 64 in a thrift store or you bought one on eBay and you're wanting to make sure everything works, you can just load up this little app and uh, run your fingers across the keyboard and it will show you every key that's being pressed and you can also test joystick inputs. You know, you plug in your joystick and it'll show all four directions and the fire button and stuff. So really small and ease, uh, easy to use utility that's great for testing out, um, you know, vintage uh, Commodore 64s. So if, if uh, you find yourself doing a lot of testing of hardware, then any key might be useful to you. Uh, if you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodore. Follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcasts. Catch me hanging out on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a voicemail on the Flat Podcast Hotline at 405-486-YDKF. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paperboy who just crashed into my inflatable Santa. You may not like the news, but you have to admire the person who delivers it. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's talk about this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. When I was a child, every year for Christmas, my dad would buy my mom one of those little yellow boxes of chocolate treats. You know the ones I'm talking about. The little box of Whitman's samplers. Uh, it has all different kinds of chocolate treats. And to know what's what, you have to open the box and look on the lid and use the little uh, legend to figure out what's uh, what's what. The only thing I really need the legend for is to avoid coconut. <laughs> I do not like coconut, but I like everything else. But it's fun to look at the little thing and see which ones have caramel and which ones have cherries and which ones have peanuts and all the different things like that. So every year for Christmas, my dad would buy my mom a box of uh, Whitman's candies, a little Whitman's sampler. And then when uh, the early 90s, when my parents got separated, my dad stopped buying my mother boxes of candy. And we started. My wife and I started. So we picked up the tradition. And now every year for Christmas, we buy my mother a box of Whitman's chocolates. And 
My wife finished up the Christmas shopping earlier this week and picked up a Whitman sampler and brought it home and left it on the bar. And the next morning we woke up and the box had been opened, the lid had been shoved off to the side, and two-thirds of the chocolates were missing. So apparently my children thought that the Whitman sampler, for some reason, that we have been buying for 25 years for my mother, was somehow for them this year. So... (laughs) Uh, the first thing we did was we immediately took the rest of the chocolates out of there, uh, scolded the children. And when I say children, ages 15 and 19, and my wife has gone back to the store and bought another Whitman sampler, which she has now hidden in the closet so that it could be wrapped and given to my mother on Christmas day. So, uh, as I was getting ready to record this week's episode, I went into the kitchen. I got my little glass of Kool-Aid. Actually, it's, um, crystal light. And uh, saw that the uh, the little pile that we had absconded, the remaining Whitman, Whitman's uh, samplers, <laughs> were still there. So I grabbed the rest of them. So I, as I was putting together the the final touches on this week's show notes, I've been sitting here eating uh, little chocolate toffees and chocolate with strawberry inside. I got one of those and one that was kind of like a Reese's. I don't look at the the legend. Actually, when I look at the legend, I find all the ones that have coconut and I throw them out. <laughs> And then everything else is fair game. So that has been this week's snack. The remains of the Whitman sampler with the the few bits that my kids left behind. 1920s, the best job a kid could have was delivering Whitman's five sampler varieties. Um, Mrs. Bennett, this is from Mr. Bennett. Not cheery and crisp. One for you. Ah, yes. All creams for you, son. Thanks. I love dark chocolates. Yeah, maybe just one. Yeah, just one. Give the ones you love the ones they love. Whitman Samplers. So let's start talking about the C64 Maxi from Retro Games Limited. Now, I will tell you right off the bat, the product's official name is not the C64 Maxi. Um, that is in response to Retro Games Limited's previous product, which was the Commodore 64 Mini. I shouldn't say Commodore 64. I have to say C64. I assume that there is something in the licensing that prevents them from saying the word uh, Commodore. So this product does not say Commodore 64. It has the word THE in all capitals, and then C64 with no space in between those. So it is the C64 and the small version that they released back in 2018 was part of the wave of miniature consoles. You remember we had the NES mini, the super Nintendo mini, um, of course, for a long time, we've had the Atari flashback and this is all kind of, uh, uh the second wave of all these things. And they released the C64 Mini. Now, the C64 Mini was a one-fourth the size, essentially, of a vintage Commodore 64. It did not have a working keyboard, but it had 64 built-in games. It came with a USB joystick with a bunch of buttons on it that we'll be talking about that was not well-received. And it had two USB ports, which was an issue because it only supports USB joysticks. So if you're going to play two-player action, you need two joysticks, and then you can't plug in a USB stick to load and save games from. So 
Uh, right off the bat, you had to also purchase a USB hub if you're going to be doing those things or if you're going to have two players. So um, the C64 Mini, again, this is the version that came out. Uh, I think I got mine in 2018. Uh, you can find it today on Amazon for $32. And that's the version that has one joystick. Or you could get one that has two joysticks for $59. And that's Amazon Prime, so free shipping. Uh, but that was called the C64 Mini. Shortly after that, uh, Retro Games Limited announced that they were going to be releasing a full-sized version of that. So the reason this is called the C64 Maxi is to separate it from the C64 Mini. The official product title does not have the word Maxi in it, but that's an easy way to differentiate between the Mini and the full-size version. So on this episode, we are going to be talking about the C64 Maxi. Now, the C64 Maxi was released in 2019 in the UK, and... This is interesting because a lot of times the opposite of this happens. A lot of products are released in the U.S. and people that live in the U.K. are complaining that they can't get these things shipped there, that shipping is expensive. Um, but it was the opposite this time. Retro, uh, Retro Games Limited, is a uh, they're based in the U.K. So they immediately begin selling these to U.K. customers and it was very difficult for customers in the U.S. to get these. Uh, sometimes you could go on Amazon and it would say, sorry, we don't sell to your country. Sometimes it would say that we sell to your country. And then you would go through the process. And then when you tried to actually purchase it, it would say, sorry, we don't ship there. So, um, you know, people were getting them imported by third parties. It, it was really this kind of mess. And retro games limited said, we hear you, we're going to get this set up. We're going to launch this in the United States. And it took well over a year. I'm going to be, I mean, I have an entire set of notes here that's called what an unbelievable pain in the butt it was to buy this thing. <laughs> um, so all of 2020, this company, Retro Games Limited, has been saying it's coming, it's coming, we're going to release it. I mean, I remember they were getting people worked up in February and March saying, you know, it, we're going to release it any day. And it got pushed back. It got pushed back to the summer. It got pushed back again. Uh, and finally, and again, I don't want to oversimplify things. I don't want, I don't know anything about <laughs> doing, uh, you know, shipping commerce in between countries and things like that. But I could tell you this. I go on eBay and I buy stuff from other countries all the time. And I order stuff and it shows up at my house. So, I know that shipping things across the ocean is possible, you know, and I also know Amazon knows how to do it. So I don't, I really don't understand what the issue was with getting this product over to the U.S. And especially once I get to start talking about the product, there's almost zero difference between the version that we got and the one that they got in the U.K. So I don't understand what the shipping problem, I don't understand why it took over a year for them to make these available on Amazon. I, I really don't understand. And their entire Facebook page is filled with people crying, saying, please, please take my money. I really want to buy your product. And just delay after delay. So I again, I don't have any insight to what the delay was. I don't know what the problem was, but I can tell you that they lost a lot of business because 
you know, they couldn't get their stuff together. So the promises of the product being sold in early 2020 slid. Uh, It was not available in March. It wasn't available in the summer. And finally, there was an announcement on August 27th, 2020, that said the C64 Maxi is now available for pre-order on Amazon. Now, within the first hour of that announcement, uh, first of all, I got about 20 notifications. People were texting me. I was getting notifications on Twitter and Facebook. Hey, did you see it? Did you see it? You know? And uh, so I immediately went and did the pre-order, and I'm pretty sure that I did my pre-order within an hour of the announcement. So I I was in on the first hour. Uh, And, of course, pre-orders continued throughout the day. Um, And the pre-order, the shipping date, was supposed to be in November. So... Uh, you know, you pay in August and then three months later you get your thing. I mean, that's a pre-order. I was okay with that. And then I got a notification in November from Amazon that said, this product has been delayed. And this was at the beginning of November. I think it was November 4th. This product has been delayed. So it said, I have to click a button that says that I still want it. And if I don't want it, or if I don't click the button, it will disappear and I I won't ever have to pay for it. So I clicked the button and it said uh, we were going to add 30 days out or something like that. I think it was two weeks. But then I got another notification. This product has been delayed. Do you still want it? Well, the second time I was on the fence. I mean, I got to tell you, between the time that I did the pre-order and now, I set up the BMC64, which is the bare metal C64 that uh, Dave Zilly recommended to me originally which is a, a build for the Commodore 64 on Raspberry Pis. Um, so I already have that. I've also set up my Ultimate 64, which is literally all I do is spin my chair around and it's sitting right there. So I have that. Of course, on my main computer, I have WinVice, which is what I use for my streaming. So, I mean, in this room, I have three. Well, I also have my Mist. So I have four ways right now before getting the 64 Maxi to play Commodore 64 games. So by pushing it out and pushing it out and making me click these buttons and saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Each time I was getting a little bit less sure that I wanted to continue this purchase. I got a notification at the end of November and it said, this product has been delayed another month. Do you want it? And if you don't click this button, the the date has been pushed back. I think it's in 30 days. And if you don't press the button, then after 30 days, it will disappear from your shopping cart. And I decided not to press the button. I was really kind of over the product at that point. Uh, and then what happened was a couple of days later, it said, this item is now shipping and uh, you have been charged and it's on its way to your house. So, I mean, the way I saw it is that they had 30 days to get it to me or I wasn't going to buy it at that point. So uh, the product arrived um, I believe on December 7th. Um, so maybe even later. Well, sometime, but the first week of December, towards the end of the first week of December, it arrived. Um, and now, again, I told you that I paid for my pre order within the first hour. I saw other people online who were saying they also pre ordered on the first day around noon, and their orders have not arrived yet. 
And I saw some other people that paid later in the day and their orders have been canceled. So it, whatever amount of these that Amazon got to fulfill these pre-orders, they didn't get enough. Um, so again, I mean, what a blown opportunity by this company. Uh, I don't know what happened, but when you have people that are, have clicked pre-order and they've, they're holding items and they're ready to go and you wait, make them wait three or four months and then you cancel it. Those people aren't coming back. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've seen these already being scalped on eBay and people are paying it because there's no other way to get them. And that's unfortunate. I don't like that business model, but I understand if, if this was something you were really, really wanting, uh, that's, uh, about the only way to get it. Now, a lot of people say you can um, still get the, uh, UK release, but you can't, I've tried that. I tried that on Amazon and it won't ship it to my house. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky that I got one now, depending on what you think of the rest of my review, we'll decide how lucky I was. <laughs> So anyway, that that's um, uh, the story of how I got it. I did the pre-order on August 27th. It showed up the first week of December uh, while Amazon was continually warning me that it was about to be canceled again. So, But it did arrive. It arrived in a big, giant Amazon box, and you open the Amazon box, and there was those little inflatable airbags, and I pulled those out, and there was some... Uh, wrapping paper that was twisted around and I pulled all that out. And at the end of the day, uh, was this box, this very, very beautiful box, which I'm going to pick up here just so I can look at it and talk about it. Uh, the front of it says the C64 and behind it are the little rainbow lines that are unmistakable part of the Commodore uh, badge that's on the Commodore 64. It says the 664 microcomputer written on the side. Uh, on the left hand, two thirds of the box, you could see the Commodore 64 or the C64. Underneath, uh, just in case people don't know, it says with full-sized working keyboard. So they really want people to know that um, you know the keyboard is functional because on the the mini C64 it was not functional. Um, on the right hand side you've got a monitor and it's got the uh, kind of the universal rainbow bars showing that I guess that uh, that that's a monitor <laughs> like we know that. Um, and then there's a picture of the joystick and there's another little bang in the bottom right hand corner and it says micro switch joystick. Um, and, and by the way, all the, uh, text on here, I believe is English. And then also, uh, I believe this is French. So this must've been the, um, uh, for all of North America. So, so they've got dual languages on here. It says, um, micro switch joystick. And underneath that, it says joystick avec micro boutons. <laughs> I like. I would like to think that uh, Napoleon at some point was like, micro boutons. <laughs> there's my French for the day. Uh, and then there's this little triad of squares. It says C64 games, and there's some arrows. Uh, and then it says C64. And then it says Vic 20. So this is the first place that we, um, that that information is available, that this computer appears to be both a Commodore 64 and a Vic 20. 
We'll flip around to the back here, and it says the world's best-selling home computer reborn. Again, it says the C64, and then there's a top-down picture of the keyboard and some little arrows labeling different things on there. And then on the right-hand side, it says 64 classic retro games included, and there's some different uh, pictures of some of the included games. Some of the ones that are on here are Impossible Mission, Jumpman, Paradroid, Uridium, Boulder Dash, Street Sports Baseball, California Games, and Monty on the Run. There's also pictures that show that Commodore 64 Basic and VIC-20 Basic are included. And then there is a picture of the game's carousel, which is uh, the exact same version that was uh, on the C64 Mini. The software is the same. Some of the games have been swapped out, so... When you open the box, what's in the box? Well, let's talk about the hardware that's in here. Uh, first of all, there's a little box that has uh, a USB power. Now, this is different than the version that was released in the UK. I've seen the UK one, and they had um, that power adapter where you had all the different little ends that you could plug on and do all that uh, this is not like that. This is a standard uh, USB cord, so it has mini USB on one end and regular uh, USB on the other, and then it comes with a wall USB adapter. So you can plug this thing right into the wall. Uh, you don't have to you know, purchase. I believe in the C64 Mini came with the USB cable, but not the adapter, I believe is right, but uh, this one has the adapter in there, so uh, you're ready to go power-wise. There's also an HDMI cable. Now, the VC64, both this and the Mini, have HDMI out. They do 720p. Uh, so there's no, no more of those complicated, they're not complicated to me, but some people find them complicated, uh, video cables and RCA uh, splitters and all these things. This is uh, HDMI, so this is... Not your daddy's C64. It could be not your mama's C64, depending on who, who enjoyed playing it. Um, when you pick up the unit and look at the back, uh, well, I, let me say this. Uh, looking at the unit top down, I mean, from five foot away, I think you could be excused for mistaking this for a vintage Commodore 64. The color's about right. Um, the keyboard is right. Uh, there are some minor differences when you look, for example, the uh, bottom left key that normally said, uh, uh, you know, had the Commodore logo. Now it says the C64. So there's some little minor things. But at first glance, if you're walking through a room, I don't think you'd notice the difference. Uh, from the top, from the left hand side, it all looks like a vintage Commodore 64. If you look at the back, it looks, uh, it's jarringly different because the back 99% of it is a solid piece of plastic. I mean, it's part of the case. Now, if you're familiar with a, a vintage Commodore 64, you know that the original had uh, connectors for disk drives, connectors for cartridges. It had a user port. It had different outputs, you know. It had all these things. Well, this is just all molded plastic with three tiny little um, ports, I suppose. One for USB power, one for HDMI video, and there is uh, one USB port on the back. On the side of the C64, where the normal joystick ports used to be, are three more USB ports and then uh, what I would call a soft power button. 
when you tap it, it does different things. When you hold it, you can hold it down for three or four seconds um, to shut it down. A tapping and some other keys do a reset. So it kind of has, it's a multifunctional button, but um, uh, it's, uh, you know, it works. It's just a little bit different feel. Now let's talk about the joystick. The joystick on the first unit on the Mini, the C64 Mini, was not well-received. It didn't play well. It didn't feel well. Um, And a lot of people said that it broke too easily. Well, they've redone the joystick. Uh, The the color scheme is a little bit different. Uh, The the stick on mine is uh, black. And on the old one, I think it had more red. So that's uh, a difference. Um. Inside, this one has micro switches. So when you move the joystick around, you can hear everything clicking and it it has a much better feel than the original one did. Again, you have two fire buttons, uh, one top left, one top right, but they do the same thing. Then you have these two little arrow kind of angled buttons, which can be programmed to do different things. Again, uh, the way that I am, maybe it's just me, but the way I hold this joystick, I was constantly accidentally hitting the left arrow button. So you really have to figure out a way to hold this joystick differently than I normally hold joysticks, apparently. And then at the bottom of the joystick, there are four little round buttons, which are used to do extra things in the menu. Uh, during the game, they can be used to, to pull up a bottom menu or to exit out of games and, and uh, things like that. These keys can be reassigned to different things, but for the most part, they're pretty good uh, as they are. The, the joystick is intended to allow this thing to be used for couch gaming or living room gaming, uh, especially with the games that are built in. I mean, if you've got a... I actually used a USB extension cable, so I plugged the joystick into this another six-foot USB cable and then plugged that into the C64. So it was up by my television, I had the, and then I had this joystick all the way stretched across the room, and I never needed to touch uh, the C64. I was able to start games, play games, navigate the menus, do everything I wanted to do just with the joystick by itself. So, you know, it's, it's definitely... Uh, uh, convenient if if that's going to be your your gaming location. Um, the the keyboard I do want to mention that they got it right as far as the look and specifically with the extra information being printed on the front of the keys. A lot of reproduction keyboards uh, skip that step, you know. So a Commodore keyboard, if you look at one like uh, where the letters are the letters are on the top and then the front of the keys show the, um, um, the pet ASCII keys. Whenever you hit shift, if you're in a, a graphics mode or whatever, and even the, um, uh, the numbers across the top have additional information, like for changing colors and basic and stuff like that. And, um, you know, a lot of times you don't get that. If you're using a USB keyboard on an emulator, you don't get that. And so it can make it a little bit difficult to do things, but uh, uh, this has it and it looks just like the original. So uh, that is, um, uh, you know, definitely one of the things I would say uh, that I enjoyed about the keyboard. Um, the other thing that I found annoying about the keyboard, or not, not another thing, but one thing I found that was annoying is that all of the USB ports are upside down. Now, if you've been using USB as long as I have, you know how to look at a USB device and tell which side is up 
and which side is down. I'm picking up a USB stick right now. And when you look at the top, it is all one piece all the way across. And when you look at the bottom, you can see where it has been wrapped around and folded over. And there's that line that divides, uh, you know, the USB. And of course, even when you, you look at it into the end, you know, the bottom part has that little spacer, the plastic spacer, uh, and the top part is hollow. Um, but all the ports on DC 64 are upside down. So when you, if you're used to looking at a USB plug and knowing which way it goes and plugging in a the joystick to this thing or a USB stick to this thing, just know that every single time until you remember that the ports are all upside down, you will be trying to plug these in the wrong way. So once I had all the stuff open, I pulled everything out. I pulled the computer out. I pulled uh, the power out, the HDMI. I mean, there's really not that much uh, uh, you know, to hooking this thing up. I wanted to test it in my home office. So the cable that comes with it is a true HDMI cable, has HDMI on both ends. But the monitor that I had to test it on did not have HDMI in. It had DVI in. So I grabbed a cable that has HDMI on one end and DVI on the other. I've used this cable many times with Raspberry Pis. I plugged it into the C64, the HDMI part. I plugged the DVI into the monitor. I turned it on, and I got no video. I got nothing. So I was afraid that maybe something, either something was wrong with the unit or something was wrong with the cable, or maybe something was wrong with the monitor. I didn't really know. So I unplugged, uh, removed the cable, and I replaced it with another cable, which was HDMI on one end and VGA on the other. I plugged that into the monitor, turned the monitor on, turned the unit on, and I still got no video. Now I was starting to suspect that something was wrong with this monitor. I mean, this is an older, you know, test monitor I had sitting around. So I grabbed a different monitor and I tried those cables again and I got no video. And now I started getting scared. I started to think, boy, I pre-ordered this thing. I waited over three months and I think it may be dead. Uh, so the last test was out in my workshop. I have a flat screen TV, a 32 inch Sanyo flat screen TV that has to be from the first or second year that they started making flat screen TVs. It's super old. Um, and I got it. It's one of the TVs that I got a two for $5 at a garage sale. Uh, but it does have an HDMI input. And so I plugged HDMI into the C64. I plugged HDMI into the television. This was my last test, I thought. Turned on the C64 and I got video. It came right up. Now, in the old C64 Mini, when it boots up to the game carousel, it plays music. But this one wasn't playing music, which I thought, okay, that's fine. But then when I went into the games, it still wasn't playing music. Now, this television, if you go into the menu, has two options. <laughs> One is adjust the, the picture, and you can change the color and the brightness and stuff like that. Um, and the other option is leave it on automatic and then it doesn't and then it blanks out the the first choice <laughs> so that's it there are no options on this tv for disabling audio or switching audio from this kind of that i mean there's no options for it so again i begin to think maybe there's something wrong with the c64 maxi so 
I have a, uh, a Western Digital, I think this thing is called a TV Live. It's an old streaming box that you could hook up to your TV and then you could stream movies, uh, you know, off of a server or something like that. And uh, so I drug that out to the workshop. I plugged that into the TV and started a movie and it started playing with sound. So now I know that the TV has sound and it's getting sound from HDMI. I unplugged it, and so I thought, maybe I got a bad HDMI cable at this point. So I hooked up DC64 with that cable and everything, the same port, nothing, no sound. I was 99% convinced that my DC64 was not putting out sound at that point. My final test with that same HDMI cable was I came into the house and I plugged it into a more modern TV, and when I did that, it immediately started making sound. This dramatic pauses me throwing my hands up in the air. Um, so my experience up to this point was that, you know, it does HDMI out, but it wasn't working with a HDMI to anything else type of power or video cable. So HDMI to DVI did not work. HDMI to VGA did not work. And I tried that on uh, multiple uh, devices. Um, and then even on an older TV, I could not get HDMI. I mean, now, now maybe there's something, I mean, there's some different HDMI spec and that TV is old enough that it doesn't support it. I, I really don't know. But the, uh, um, when I did bring it in and hook it up to a modern, more modern television that was also HDMI, it did work. So I guess my caveat at this point is that if you're trying to use it with an older TV or you're wanting to do something kind of odd and hook it up in your game room to a, a PC monitor and do something, it may not work. This may not work for you. It seemed to be very picky about what device it was hooked up to. I've been talking a lot. I mean, we're almost at the hour mark of this show, and I haven't even got to play the thing yet. So let's get on to uh, turning it on and playing the C64 Maxi. Uh, once I got it in the TV, it was very simple to hook up. Literally, you plug power into the wall, HDMI into a TV, and you plug the joystick into the USB port and turn it on. Uh, if everything goes right, you should be able to open the box in this and be playing in less than a minute. I mean, it's super, super Simple to hook up. Uh, when it boots up, you get a couple of different choices. Uh, one of the choices is uh, whether you want it to boot up into uh, basic versus carousel mode. Now, basic literally means just like a original Commodore 64, turning it on and having it drop you right into the basic screen. You can also choose to have it drop you into the um, VIC-20 basic screen if you want. Uh, but the games carousel is what gives you access to the 64 built-in games on the system. So, But you can choose that default, and you can change these defaults at any time. Then you get your choice of six different video modes. And again, this is the same as on the Mini. There are three that are called, well, there's Pixel Perfect, European, and United States 4x3. Um, I felt like the 4x3 was a little squished, but... Uh, you know, depending on your TV and, and how it actually calculates that, you might have different results. But you get those three choices, and then you get those exact same three choices, but with scan lines added. I got to tell you, with the US 4.3 and the scan lines, I mean, it doesn't really look like a CRT, but it was enough to, uh, 
you know, tickle that little uh, nostalgic feeling a little bit. Uh, you have, uh, well, you can also choose computer mode. And again, this is uh, the C64 or the VIC-20. Now, I am a Commodore 64 guy through and through. I've never owned a VIC-20. I've never programmed or used a VIC-20. And I haven't played that many VIC-20 games. So 99.999% of what I will ever do with this will be in C64 mode. But if you have a nostalgic feeling for the VIC-20, then technically I guess you're getting a two-for-one deal with this. Um, my recommendation right out of the box is to update the firmware. There's some updated firmwares that are available on uh, Retro Games Limited website. And upgrading the firmware adds some new features and it adds some new games to the carousel. Uh, and the firmware is free. And it's very easy to do. You download it onto a USB stick. You put the USB stick in and, and uh, go to the disk option and it says, hey, there's a firmware. Do you want me to upgrade? And you do it. it it's very easy and painless. So uh, there's no downside, I wouldn't say, to uh, upgrading the firmware. Uh, Robin uh, from uh, his uh, 8-Bit Show and Tell YouTube series did a video showing some of the updated features that's in the new firmware. Uh, again, it adds some different games I'll talk about. It has the ability for multi-load tape games. I'm not a cassette guy, and I'm not going to be playing multi-load tape things on this, but I understand that a lot of UK uh, people that own the machine you know, have a nostalgic feel for the cassette. So if that's your bag, this will now do it. Uh, and apparently it also adds hard reset and soft reset key combinations. So you could do um, uh, a, a soft reset by now holding down the left shift and tapping the power button, and that will do a soft reset. Uh, or you can do a hard reset by hitting, holding down the Commodore key and shift and tapping the power button. So depending on whether or not you're wanting to leave things in memory, you might want to do a soft reset in certain cases. But uh, but that's convenient to be able to do that and not just have to turn the machine all the way off and all the way on uh, whenever you want to reset things. Which, for the most part, you don't have to do anyway. When you exit out games and go back to the menu, you can just pick another game without having to reset the system. You can set the machine, as I mentioned, to boot up into basic mode. I timed this. It took about 15 seconds uh, for it to bypass the screen and to boot and then drop you into basic mode. Uh, I'm not sure why you would want to get to basic mode because everything is available through the carousel mode. Um, I mean, if you were and even once you get to the carousel mode, there's the menu choice right there to go to basic. So I, I don't really know why you would want to do that. Um, I re yeah, I really can't even come up with a reason why, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but, um, but it's there if you wanted to do that. And of course, uh, you have access to the entire keyboard. So if you wanted to do basic programming, you can uh, write a program. You could save it to a virtual, uh, floppy disk on a USB stick and load that back or move that back and forth to other machines or emulators or whatever. So the option is uh, is definitely there for this uh, to be used, you know, in basic as a fully functional Commodore 64. I think where most people will leave it and where I will leave mine is in carousel mode. So that is when you boot in, you get this menu and uh, they're horizontally it shows uh, three or no, more than that. Let's say six, I'm guessing, uh, titles at a time. And you can scroll through the list with 
the joystick, and as you move through it, it shows uh, the name of the game. It shows who the programmer was, who did the music. It'll show you a screenshot and a little summary of each game. Um, I will run through the list of games real quick, just in case um, people are interested. I, you know, I probably should just skip over the ones that I've never heard of. Uh, of course, this list is uh, available on their website, but I'll just hit the ones I've heard of. Uh, Alley Cat, Attack of the Mutant Camels, um, Boulder Dash, let's see, California Games, Chips Challenge, Cyberdyne Warriors, Cybernoid 2, Destroyer, uh, Everyone's a Wally, I remember that one, Fire Lord, Galencia, which is the new Galaga um inspired game that was released in 2017 it's a really really great game uh gateway to Apshai. let's see what else here kind of skimming impossible mission one and two jump man um let's see here monty on the run nebulous which some people know as tower toppler uh paradroid which is one of my favorite games pit stop two um, Robin of the Woods, which I played as a kid, Skate Crazy, Speedball 2, Spin Dizzy, Street Sports Baseball, Street Sports Basketball, um, Summer, and it says Summer Games 2, and then it says Summer Games Events Included. So I guess that's some version that has Summer Games 1 and 2 somehow combined into one thing. Thing on a Spring, Trailblazer, Iridium, who Dares Win 2, Winter Games, and World Games. Those are There are more games included, but those are the ones uh, that jump out at me as classics uh, that I enjoy. Now, when you do the firmware update, uh, it adds uh, some of those games. It adds Attack of the Mutant Camels, Destroyer, Galencia, Gateway to Apshai, Silicon Warriors, Street Sports Basketball, and Sword of Fargol, which is a rogue clone that I have covered on Sprite Castle before. So... Um, lots of, uh, lots of cool games. And, and if you were a casual gamer, there might be enough there to keep you entertained for a long time. You might not even have to go to the, um, disc mode, but you can get to all these games through the carousel just by moving your joystick around and picking a game. Now there's a secret thing. If you go very all the way to the end of the carousel and you hold down, uh, the Commodore key and P and press the button, and it will bring up a list of all my Patreon supporters. That would be Alan Hudgens, Ant Page, Armadon Restel, Carrie Clanton, Chris Folds, Christopher Warren, Cobra Kai, Darren Folds, Dave Zilly, David Hearn, Eric Stryanisi, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham Vobke, Jake Nonamaker, John Morrison, John Schaller, Mark Alley, Matt Nicholson, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Paul Hermsky Davies, Rick Reynolds, Roy Jacobs, Scott Lambert, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, Steve Sharippa, Rydar and Christopher Bow, and Zeke Pabsky. I wish all their names were really in the uh, V64. Unfortunately, they're not. But, uh, man, that would be really awesome if they were. But, no, those are my Patreon supporters. And if you want to join them and have your name listed in the show and get access to behind-the-scenes information, extra videos, and all kinds of cool stuff, go to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara, and you can find out more. I bet you thought 
that I wasn't going to sneak that into this episode, but there it is. Um, the next version past, uh, carousel mode down at the bottom, there is a little version of a disc, a little icon. And, uh, actually it's not, I think it's a USB thing now that I think about it. But if you click on that, uh, you will go into disc mode. Disc mode allows you to load games from D64 disc images, which is what every major Commodore 64 emulator uses. Essentially, this means that any Commodore 64 game, and trust me, if you played it on the Commodore and you didn't write it, it's probably out there on the internet somewhere and probably pretty easy to find. You can download those, put them on a USB stick, put them in the back of this thing, go to disk mode, and load these games. So essentially, this will play the 64 games that are built in and any other game that you download that you put on a USB stick. Now... A couple of things to mention. First of all is um, the C64, because it uses a USB joystick, the joystick is defaulting to joystick port 2. If you spend a lot of time playing, actually if you spend any time at all playing Commodore 64 games, you know the frustration that some games use joystick port 2 and some games use joystick port 1. Uh, so what you could do is on the actual file names that you put on those USB sticks, you can add flags to the end of those file names. You add, you take the file name like, you know, pacman.d64. You go after the word pacman, you put an underscore, and then you can put different key combinations and that will change the way that these, uh, that the C64, man, that's a tongue twister that it loads and interprets those games. So for example, if there is a game that's looking for the joystick on port one and you load it into the C64, it's not going to recognize it because it thinks the USB joystick is always in port two. But if you go back to that Pac-Man file, you could rename that file as Pac-Man underscore J1. And then when you load it, it will switch the USB joystick port to port one on the Commodore 64. So basically, I was going to say through trial and error, but not trial and error, just by knowing what you're trying to do, you can modify these games just by changing the file name. Uh, AD underscore AD turns on accurate disk emulation. So if you've got a game that's having trouble uh, with its fast loader and it's not getting past copy protection or something, you could add that. Sometimes that'll make... Uh, games load. RO is read only. There's TN, which forces uh, NTSC, and TP, which forces it into PAL. There's some games that only work under PAL or NTSC, so you can force them to load in that video mode. Uh, NI turns off the disk indicator. There's a little icon that flashes when disk access is happening. Some new ones on this version include M6, which is mode Commodore 64, and MV, which is mode VIC-20. So if you have a game, uh, you know, a, a VIC-20 game that's on a disc and you you try to load it, it may try to, if you've got it configured to be a Commodore 64, it's never going to work. But if you put MV at the end of the file name, it will uh, force it into um, VIC-20 mode. Now, the cool thing about these is that you can stack them. So for example, if you wanted to load a PAL game for the Commodore 64 and have the joystick be on port one, you could change that Pac-Man file name to be Pac-Man underscore M6 TP J1 for mode Commodore 64, 
force it into PAL mode, and joystick port one. So you can you can stack those commands. There are people out there that have created large collections for the C64 Mini. These all work for the C64 Maxi as well. They've taken some of them have made um, large large disc images and put you know 50 games on there. Uh, they've configured them and renamed them all so they will all work with joystick port two. So. If you go out there and look around, I bet you could probably find the same things I've found, which are these collections that are friendly to the uh, C64 Mini and Maxi. They've already done all the configuration, so you don't have to mess with that stuff. But literally any game that you could find out there, if you you may have to mess with these little jumpers. You may not, uh, but you can play text adventures because you've got a working keyboard. You can play RPGs. Any game that you ever played on the Commodore 64, most likely this thing will play. So let's talk about my overall gaming experience with the C64 Maxi. First of all, let's talk about basic. Um, it's basic. <laughs> it's basic the way I remember it. You turn it on, you go to basic. Uh, you can... Every single person writes their own little, you know, 10 print, whatever, 20 go to 10, and it totally works. If you put a uh, virtual disk in the virtual disk drive, you can save that program. You can load it back in later. You can write programs on an emulator somewhere and take them over there and load them in and, and run them and edit them. So that totally works. And if you're trying to do things on the Commodore 64 keyboard that use the colors or the shortcuts or the pet ASCII characters, those sorts of things, doing it on a, a, a authentic keyboard makes all the difference in the world. So I don't know that I would do a lot of programming on a Commodore 64 emulator where the joystick or where the keyboard doesn't map to the same place where a C64 keyboard maps. But I found there was something about the experience of doing it on the C64 Maxi that made it a little bit more enjoyable. I'm not saying I'm going to write, you know, the world's next novel on it or anything, but but it was it was enjoyable. I, I will give it that. Next are the built-in games, the games that are on the carousel. Uh, I immediately mentally divided these games into three categories. Uh, there's crap, there's gems, or let's say hidden gems, and then there are classics. So, I mean, there's some crap. I mean, maybe a third of the games out here are crap. And by crap, I mean you'll load it up and you'll be like, why am I playing this? And you'll go to the next game. Uh, but then there are some hidden gems, you know, I mean, like Cyberdyne Warrior and, and um, you know, there are some games that I didn't spend a lot of time with as a kid, but I started playing and I kind of got into them, you know, um, Monty on the Run is not one I played a lot as a kid or uh, Attack of the Mutant Candles is one I didn't spend any time with. But, uh, you know, they're, they're enjoyable games. So I, I would call those hidden gems. And then you've got classics. If I were making a list of my top 10 Commodore 64 games of all time, uh, Paradroid would be on there. Paradroid would definitely be in the top three. I don't, I don't know if I could get closer than that, and it might be a three-way tie. Um, but, you know, Paradroid, one of my favorite games. Uridium, classic space shoot-em-up for the Commodore 64. Um, you know, I played a lot of the street sports games uh, when I was a kid, so those are kind of fun. Uh, obviously any of the epics, the summer games, summer games two, the winter games, world games, uh, California games, all those, uh, you know, as a kid gave me not just hours, but weeks and months of entertainment. 
And I suspect uh, if you pick this up and you wanted to play those, uh, they would too. So there are some classic games on here that uh, um, even if you were just loading your own games, those are probably ones you would pick anyway. So there's there's a lot of value, I will say, in the built-in game. So I, I did enjoy going through the carousel and doing that. Uh, and then the third part you know, that I talked about was the disk access stuff. I didn't find anything that didn't work. Uh, I loaded uh, Skate or Die, which was is not included on the carousel. I uh, loaded it the first time, and the cracked copy that I had got said, do you want the fast loader, yes or no? I said yes, and it didn't work, so I rebooted it, and I selected no. It booted right up into the, the intro. It played the digitized music, uh, went right to the game. I was able to play everything. Uh, and, and time and time again, everything that I tried worked perfectly. So I'm sure, I mean, the Commodore 64 is a library of more than 20,000 games. So I'm sure you'll find something that doesn't work, but I didn't find any, uh, while playing with it over the past week. And and I gave it a go. I mean, I probably played 50 or 60 different games, uh, you know, just trying different things and, and it worked pretty good for me. So as I was playing this and I've been trying to come up with a list and compare the C64 Maxi to other types of Commodore gaming solutions. And all of these are things that I own. Uh, and so I kind of made a chart here of pluses and minuses and kind of the ideas to help you decide or, you know, compare two things and maybe help you decide if this is something that you want to own. Uh, so first of all, let's compare the C64 Maxi to PC emulation, and I'm specifically comparing it to WinVice, uh, which is the emulator that I use on my modern PC. Well, the upside of PC emulation is obviously that it's free. You can download WinVice, set it up for free, download games, play them for free. You don't have to you know, spend any money at all to get that working. Um, but I would say that getting Commodore 64 emulation going is more confusing than getting the C64 Maxi set up. Again, I popped open the box. Once I got to the living room, you know, in the TV that worked, uh, I connected power to the wall. I connected HDMI to the TV. I plugged in the USB cable. So, I, I mean, you could definitely do those three things in less than a minute and turned it on and it booted up to a carousel full, full of games. So... And that's not complicated. I mean, this is definitely like, you know, uh, your mom or your grandma or whoever in your family that's not, um, uh, you know, technically oriented could hook this thing up in five minutes or less. And like, you know, my mom uh, does stuff with computers. My mom cannot get Commodore 64 emulation up and running in five minutes, I promise you. So uh, and and I'm, I'm sure that she could have she could be playing a game on this in five minutes. So. Um, you know, the C64 Maxi probably wins on the uh, simplicity uh, factor. Now, the one thing that I was questioning is, you know, how does the accuracy of the the C64 Maxi compare to, like, computer emulation? And I was, you know, while I was doing research for this, I did watch uh, the 8-Bit Guys video where he reviewed the C64 uh, Maxi. And one of the things that he does is he tests the latency as far as um, sound and video as uh, they are triggered by key presses. And what he found was that it was about a nine millisecond, I guess, delay between a, a, 
uh, what, is it millisecond? I mean, I guess it was tenths of a second. I don't know. But uh, but the point of it was is that it was twice as fast as Windvice was on his modern Mac. So I have not performed those same tests, so I can't tell you. But But I will tell you this. There are times on the C64 Mini, which is the smaller version, that occasionally I felt like there might have been lag in the controls or lag in the video, lag somewhere in the system. And I did not get that feeling on the C64 Maxi. I was under the original impression that the hardware in between uh, or in the two systems was identical. Either they've made it run faster with firmware updates or um, you know they, they've improved the code somehow, or this has a little bit faster processor. So I don't know why it is, but I can tell you that it is. It does run a little bit faster than the C64 Mini. And based on the YouTube videos I saw, at least as fast, if not faster than C64, uh, you know, Winvice on a PC. So I would say as far as performance compared between those two, they're pretty identical. So um, the one thing I would give the C64 Maxi the legs up on, uh, other than simplicity, is also the fact that um, you do get that vintage feel. You get that keyboard um, and not, I mean, you get the keyboard and also the keyboard. <laughs> In other words, you get the case, which gives you that authentic feel, but you also get those Commodore 64 keys. So if you are doing things in basic or, or um, you know, typing and, and uh, or graphics or anything like that, uh, there is something to be said for using that, that vintage style keyboard. So I did enjoy that part of it. Uh, next, let's compare the C64 Maxi to a Raspberry Pi. Now, your gut reaction is probably to say that the Raspberry Pi is cheaper. Um, I would dispute that. In the sense that if you don't have anything at all, um, you know, people say, oh, the Raspberry Pi is $35. Well, yes, the Raspberry Pi is $35. You do not get a power cable with that. You don't get an SD card with that. You don't get anything with that. You don't get a case with that. So when you start looking at more complete kits, um, I looked on Amazon and there's a kit that comes with a case, a cable, um, a Bluetooth dongle, um, what else? Uh, a 32 gig SD card, you know, so a few things like that. Uh, and that kit was $99. So that's pretty close to the price of the C64 Maxi. Um, and on top of that, you're going to have to add a USB joystick. So if you were going from zero to everything that you needed, uh, I mean, it might not be an exact dollar to dollar, but you're in the same ballpark between buying a, a Raspberry Pi. Um, also, you need a HDMI cable. Uh, now, if you're like me, I have different drawers all around this room with those things. I have a drawer with HDMI cables. I have a drawer with USB power supplies. You know, I probably have uh, SD cards. So, um, you know, you may already have some of those things laying around your room. And if so, that, that would detract from the price. But... Again, if you're going from zero to 60, just like you would be with the Maxi, um, I would say the price is fairly um, comparable. Now, a Raspberry Pi in and of itself is a computer, and that means it's going to do more things. Uh, you know, you can load RetroPie up on it, and it can emulate not just the Commodore 64, but anything, uh, you know, most 18 and 16-bit 
consoles and computers. It can play Amiga games. It can play um, MAME, you know, and play some arcade games. It can play anything like that. So obviously, if that's what you're going for, um, the Raspberry Pi is going to give you a lot more uh, gaming opportunities than the Commodore 64 Maxi will. Uh, on the other side, I would say that the Raspberry Pi is more complicated to set up. You know, it is a Linux computer, and so you will be, unless you're uh, familiar with the Pi, that you'll be making, uh, you know, unpacking ISOs and images onto SD cards. You're going to be either remoting into a headless terminal or doing different things. You're going to be typing Linux commands. Uh, so it can be a little bit intimidating for, um, I would say, basic gamers. The um, Raspberry Pi, one thing I would point out, has a separate three and a half inch audio jack, which makes it very easy to hook up to computer monitors. You can run your HDMI video out to a monitor and then run the split the video and run it to a set of PC speakers or something like that. Um, the C64 Maxi only has HDMI output, so you've really got to run it to a television that has speakers, or you're going to have to buy one of those. Uh, HDMI splitters that has RCA uh, outputs for the the audio, and then you're going to need adapters and things like that. So, uh, if you're if you're wanting a gaming solution in your computer room or to hook up to a PC monitor, Raspberry Pi is a little bit easier. If you want to do this in your living room, though, I would say the C64 Maxi might win that. I had a Raspberry Pi hooked up as a gaming system in my living room. I was constantly trying to remote into it. I was always rebooting it trying to find what the IP address is so that I could update ROMs and this and that. And uh, so, you know, I think maybe the C64 Maxi, if you're just wanting to, you know, set it and forget it, as they say, it might be, um, you know, a more friendly living room solution. Uh, compared to, let's compare the C64 Maxi to a Mist or a Mister, which are FPGA computers. I would say right off the bat, if you own a Mist or a Mister, then this is probably not the product for you. You are past what this machine uh, can offer. FPGA uh, is emulation. Let's call it emulation at a hardware level, if we can all agree on that term. Um, so the, it has these powerful cores. It has all these things. You can, um, you know, modem on a on a mist and a mister. You can connect to external things like that, which uh, obviously you can't do on this. Uh, I actually asked Robin Harbin from Eight uh, Bit Show and Tell if he thought there would ever be a way like to use a a uh, USB modem on the C sixty four Maxi, and he reminded me that uh, the firmware. It just doesn't have that stuff programmed. So that that doesn't mean that it couldn't someday, but it doesn't seem like that's something that would be possible. So, um, you know, the C64 Maxi is good for playing games and typing in basic if you want to do that. Um, but, you know, as far as, uh, you know, core level accuracy and, and doing things like that, obviously um, the Mist and the Mister are going to give you a more... Uh, accurate representation of the original system. But then again, you're, it's kind of like saying, you know, I have an old pickup truck uh, and uh, I want to go pick up milk. Do I need an old pickup truck or do I need a, a Lamborghini? Well, the Lamborghini might be a little bit overkill you know, in this situation. And so it really depends on what you're looking for in an experience. Are you looking for 
um, you know, cycle perfect emulation, or are you looking for something where you can play Jumpman? If that's what you're looking for, then the C64 Maxi um, will do just fine. And, uh, you know, it's a lot cheaper than a Mist. You know, I, I mean, a Mist are, I think, completely assembled with, a, you know, the 128 megabytes of RAM, which is the, the maximum or whatever. I think you're looking at about $350 versus, um, you know, the C64 Maxi, which is uh, just a little over 100 So. You know, it's almost two different ballparks, um, you know, comparing those two. But uh, if you already have a mister, then you're probably not in the market for this. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Ultimate 64, which is the, uh, you know, the new board uh, that is being sold. Again, it's also a uh, FPGA solution. Um, you know, the uh, uh, Ultimate 64 gives you access to most of the ports that the original Commodore 64 had. So you can hook up uh, a real authentic disk drive and you can use real cartridges and things like that. And, and you can't do any of that with the C64 Maxi. Um, so again, if that's something that you're trying to do, you know, the Ultimate 64 has an Ethernet port and you can use Wi-Fi modems and, and all those sorts of things. But again, uh, you know, to get one to the U.S., you're probably talking close to $300 Plus, you're going to be, you need a donor case, you need a donor keyboard. Um, so it is more of a project. Again, I don't know that these two things are competing for the same markets. I, um, I mean, I have both because I love the Commodore 64, and uh, but the Ultimate 64 is my daily driver. Uh, that's what I'm, I type stuff on. That's what I'm going to modem on. That's what I play games on and back up floppies on and do all that. Um, but I wouldn't want, you know, a bunch of kids coming over and banging on the keyboard necessarily. Uh, and that would be a good use for the maxi <laughs> 64 is to put that out and, uh, and, you know, let, let kids learn on that and play with that. Finally, I wanted to compare the C64 maxi to a real Commodore 64. And number one, uh, I mean, you have to say at the top, nothing is more authentic than a real Commodore 64. None, none of the other things I've mentioned are more accurate than a real Commodore 64. So we'll take that off the table. Um, my my initial gut reaction was that how could the Maxi 64 stand up to the Commodore 64? I mean, a, a real vintage machine. But uh, where the Maxi 64 wins hands down is ease of use. Um, you know, you're not going to need a real disk drive. You're not going to need real disks or cartridges or cassettes or any of those things. You're not going to have to remember all those old archaic commands for loading things, um, you know, or formatting disks and doing all that. Um, if you're just wanting to jump in and play some Commodore games, C64 Maxi is not, you know, a bad choice. Um, you know, if you're, if you're wanting that authentic experience, then you get a real Commodore 64, but now you've got to get either some sort of SD card solution to load games off of USB or SD cards or, you know, maybe an Easy Flash or an Ultimate 1541 connection. Um, and the original hardware is old. You know, the original Commodore 64 is uh, coming up on 40 years old. So we're talking about you may have you know leaking capacitors you may have power supply issues there's a lot of things that could go wrong with hardware in 40 years and uh, so there is something to be said about the C64 Maxi will it replace most of those things probably not but it it definitely does has a place as a plug and play uh easy to get fired up gaming system uh if i were 
wanting to gift someone uh, that grew up playing a few Commodore games, I would not buy them a real Commodore 64. I would send them a Commodore 64 Maxi and say, hey, plug this into your living room TV and you can play some Donkey Kong and when you get bored of it, put it in the closet, you know, and then it's no harm, no foul. So um, so let's get it. This is the part of the show where I normally talk about my personal memories. So let's talk about my personal memories of owning the Commodore 64 Maxi. Memories. I remember it as if it were two weeks ago, mostly because it was two weeks ago <laughs> that the C64 Maxi showed up on my front porch. Um, I really only wanted to say this, and that is I got my Commodore 64 in 1985. My Commodore 64 originally belonged to my uncle. And he lived uh, way, way, way outside of the city limits. Um, driving to his house, it takes about four hours. Um, actually, he lives in a town that has a population of 200 people, if that gives you an idea. And um, actually, this will give you a better idea, is that um, his backyard is 640, uh, 640 acres of land. So... Uh, I mean, he lives way out, way outside of city limits. And he bought a Commodore 64, but the power was so bad. He was constantly having um, power voltage drops and, and spikes. And uh, he had a power outage or something, and it blew the sound chip. The the um, SID chip was ruined. And so he basically gave us the Commodore 64 and said... If we would pay to repair it, we could have it. And so that's how I got my Commodore 64. We inherited that uh, Commodore 64, had the SID chip replaced, and uh, I've been using it ever since. But he did have all the stuff with it. He had the original box, and he had the sty- you know, the original packing, the styrofoam, and the manual, and all that stuff. So when I got it, it felt like I was getting a new computer. That was the first computer I remember. No, uh, eh, that's not true. That's not true, because... Uh, I mean, it was definitely my first computer. I mean, the other ones were my family's, but uh, but being handed a box and opening it and f- having it feel like a brand new, you know, pulling it out and removing the styrofoam and, and that sort of stuff. So the C64 Maxi, you know, the Mini did not give me this feeling because it was a, it looked like a little kid's toy. It was a little miniature, cute Commodore 64. But this thing... The box does not look like the U.S. release, so I was a little disappointed in that. But once you take a X-Acto knife or pair of scissors and you run it down and you cut the little tape that's holding the flap open, the box opens the same way as the original Commodore 64 box. And you pull that little flap and, and open the lid, and you're looking down in there, and there is a Commodore 64. I mean, a brand new in 2020 a new Commodore 64 in a box, you know? And, uh, you know, it's not the same. You got a USB connection for power. You got this big wonky USB joystick that doesn't look like any joystick I used as a kid. Um, But there was something similar feeling about opening this box and unveiling this, this brand new Commodore 64. It did 
bring back some nostalgic feelings, you know, and uh, made me think about getting my original Commodore 64. So if I would say this, and, and I'm not suggesting that you buy it for this reason, but, uh, you know, I can imagine what it would be like if someone owned and loved a Commodore as a kid and they opened this thing for Christmas and the feeling they would get from opening that flap and seeing, you know, a new Commodore 64 in a box, I think that would be pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, I, I did get that feeling for a minute when I opened this new one. Now, again, this is the part of the show normally after we've played a game where I talk about the graphics and music and sound effects and all that kind of stuff. And we don't really have that to talk about here, but I can give you my overall review of the C64 Maxi. And again, if you haven't gathered from comparing it to the other systems and stuff, I think this is pretty good. It's a good plug-and-play solution. If you're wanting to use this in your living room and play some Commodore games, you don't have any other way to do that, to stream games to your TV or something, um, then this isn't a bad solution. And even if you had a, a little retro corner you wanted to set up in your office or something where you had a small uh, you know, HD TV and, and set this out and hook it up, uh, it's easy to get up and running. I will give it that. Uh, you have the 64 games built in and Probably half of them are ones that you'll play more than once, so that's not bad. And it's really easy to get up and running with downloading games on USB sticks and getting those to run. So if you already have solutions for all that stuff, unless you're super nostalgic like me, unless you're a, a super Commodore fanboy and you want to own everything that's Commodore-related, I probably wouldn't buy one. I mean, if you have an Ultimate 64 or a Mr. or a Raspberry Pi that you do Commodore stuff on, or you even do a lot of Commodore 64 emulation. I don't know that this gives you anything in addition to those. Other than that nostalgic feeling of seeing the actual machine uh, and that actual keyboard. So, you know, if you want to do stuff in basic and you want to type on a real keyboard, then this is okay. And if you don't have any of those other solutions and you want to set up a little dedicated Commodore area, then you could buy this, play it now, and maybe that'll lead to you buying something else in the future. And even if you don't, this will, uh, I think this will get, you know, average gamers a lot of entertainment. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any episode of the show, you can always email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts, catch me hanging out on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, or leave me a voicemail on the Flat Podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to support this show and gain access to behind-the-scenes blog posts and other bonus videos, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara to learn more. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, the Sprite Castle RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, and through the Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all those shows at podcast.robohara.com. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, 
the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now, whatever you want to play games on, let's play some Commodore 64 games this holiday season, and I'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. All we ever really wanted, ghosts, is to be friends again. Friends again.
Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs>